You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. What I want to tell you about today is I want to tell you that the scripture that we talk about today, um, we do use in a lot of baby dedications. We uh, use them in a lot of graduations. And um, in fact, the scripture that we talk about today, I've often used as something that, that for me is a... Um, Oh, I don't know, I call it a cosmic security blanket or my supernatural teddy bear. It's the thing that I hold on to when I think about God. It's the thing that I use when I, when I want to believe in God, that God knows me and loves me in a certain way. And so I use this verse all of the time, okay, and I'm using it completely out of context all the time. And so to put it back into context is going to be a little painful. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read it for you, all right? This is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, and then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. How many people have heard this? Yes, so, so many. How many people use this for comfort like I do? How many people have been like, I don't know where I'm going to live or what job I'm going to have or who I'm going to be with the rest of my life. And then you look at this verse and you're like, oh, the Lord has plans for me. How many people? Come on, be honest. I just was honest. I said the same thing. Yeah, we're using that completely wrong. Completely wrong. No, it's, it's, it's crazy though. Uh, we have all of our graduates here today. I have a nephew who just graduated and I promise you there is going to be a graduation card that says, congratulations, graduate, Jeremiah 29, 11. For the, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, not to, for you to prosper, not to harm you. That will happen, I promise. Um, I had a book signed by an author one time and it said, dear Jonathan, God bless, Jeremiah 29, 11. And I was like, even he knows the Lord has plans for me. Like, like it felt good, it felt good. I felt like that was a win. Um, you know, there's all these different ways. There was a, a, you know, when I think about the children that, that we dedicate, when I think about the babies in our church, um, I pray specifically. I pray, Lord, you know, bless these children. Lord, have these children in the palm of your hand. Lord, uh, uh, make a future for these children. Make their path straight. I pray for all of that. And the truth is, um, it will happen. I think God does, uh, you know, have a, a significant role in our lives and plays a role in who we are and what we'll become. But the truth is, there's also pain, right? And there's uh, hurt, and there's a lot of uh, difficult steps along the way. And so, we know that's not going to be completely true within this passage either. So, what do we do with this Jeremiah twenty nine eleven passage? Well, unfortunately, I think when we use it uh, for for uh, our graduates or for ourselves to like decide where we're going to live next or to decide uh, what job we're going to have or who we're going to live with the rest of our lives, I think what ends up happening is is we beca- we become a, a, a selfish human being. I mean, that happens. But what we do is we make our goals or our ambitions God's ambitions. We say, "This is what I want." And so I'm going to make it what God wants, too. And I make it what God wants, too. See, God, I want this, so God has plans for me, not the plans for me to prosper. And it becomes a selfish way of looking at God. So what are we going to do? We're going to rescue this passage. Because honestly, in rescuing this passage, what's going to happen is that we are going to see this passage uh, asks us to be complicit and to work with God in bringing redemption to this world. This passage asks us to take part in a collective redemption of all of God's people. This passage asks us to forget about ourselves for selfless love in others. So you ready to reclaim this passage? Yes. You guys got to get more excited. Let's do it. 
Um, all right, first things first, context is key, okay? Context is key. When you're reading your Bibles on the beach, I want you to look at your Bible, and I want you to think to yourself, context is key, all right? And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to open up our Bibles to Jeremiah. And when you're reading a passage like Jeremiah 29, 11, what you're doing is you are looking and you are saying, okay, who wrote this? Who did they write it to? Why were they writing it? There's a lot of questions there that we want to ask. We just don't want to pick verses and be like, look at that, it's for me, wonderful. And this one, we don't have to go too far. If we look at Jeremiah 29, uh, verse 1, we see exactly who Jeremiah is writing this letter to. In fact, this is what it says. The text of this letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all of the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then you get to Jeremiah 29, 4. And it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, who is it that God is talking to through Jeremiah? Who is it? Hint, it's not us. It's the nation of Israel. So God's talking to the nation of Israel here. What happened to the nation of Israel? The nation of Israel made some bad decisions. They started uh, trading favorably with other nations, which was a big no-no started worshiping other gods, not the greatest thing to do. They started intermarrying. It's also a little crazy, um, even though I'm intermarried. But anyway, <laughs> you guys got to wake up a little bit. Um, but anyway, um, so what happens is we're looking at history here. We're looking at the fact that uh, uh, the Babylonian Empire comes down, takes over Israel, right? And so this, you know, Israel's losing. And so if you're losing, of course you attribute it to God. It's, you know, if... We're losing, God must be angry. And if you're winning, God must be happy. So it's history. And so the Babylonian Empire, they come down. They take over all of Israel. They kill men, women, and children. And then they take other men, women, and children, and they bring them back into the empire. So here's what I need you to do for a second, okay? And everybody close their eyes. Close your eyes. Don't fall asleep. Do not fall asleep. And I want you to imagine you walk out of here, Right? You walk out of here, and you're going to get brunch, and all of a sudden, there's an attack. There's an invasion. And all of a sudden, all around you, people are running. People are running as far as they can. They're scampering. They're trying to get away. And, and, and you're watching people killed. You're watching people who are being raped. You're watching children who are dying. And then somebody comes, and they grab you, and they take you. And they put you on a cart, and they take you to a foreign land where you are going to be a slave. You can open your eyes now. Do you feel that? Do you feel what's going on? Can you feel the weight of this passage? This is what's happening to the people of Israel. Are we starting to see how this is not a passage about me and who I'm going to marry? We're starting to see how this is not a passage about, uh, you know, uh, the plans, what, what job am I going to take next? This is way bigger. This is way more tragic. This is, this is um, the Trail of Tears, the Native American Trail of Tears, uh, where you know, they were made, Native Americans were made to travel thousands of miles across the U.S. and then basically in prison somewhere else. That's what this is. You know what this is? This is the slave trade. This is the slave trade in the 1600s to the 1800s. That's what this is, where people were, were brought from Africa to the United States to live the rest of their lives as slaves. This is mourning. This is tragic. This is sadness. This is Orlando two weeks ago where 49 people lose their lives because of senseless violence. That's what we're dealing with here, okay? 
Now we find out that it's happening for 70 years. For 70 years, they're going to be in slavery. For 70 years, we would be in slavery. Okay, for 70 years, how many people would be alive and are going to be alive in the next 70 years? How many of you? Maybe this young thing over here. (laughs) Put your hand down, Angela. You are not. Yeah, you too, Lorette. Um, I see some people who are fibbing a little bit, but some people who are, yeah. My point is this, right? 70 years, most of us are going to be dead. Most of us are going to end our lives in slavery. Our children might get out of slavery. Our children might understand freedom, but they'll be 70, 80, 90 years old maybe. So this is the context of which we read this passage. It's one of mourning. It's one of pain. It's one of sadness. But then... God does something that's kind of amazing that people didn't expect. Because historically in the Bronze Age, what would happen is if you lost a battle, your God was mad at you, and that meant that you had to get back on your God's good side. But this God, our God, the Hebrew God, says, no, no, I'm already working to redeem you. In fact, this is what he says. Our God says this. He says, I need you to build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, and give your daughters a marriage so that they too may have many sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So what God is doing here is God saying, yeah, you're in exile, and it's going to happen for the next 70 years, and family members have died, and you're slaves, but there's hope. There's redemption. It's coming. It's on its way. There's a long play. Your job, slaves, are to redeem this place. And here's the kicker, and this is the kicker. The people who are in slavery now that God's talking to, they're never going to see freedom. They are never going to see freedom. What God is saying is, I'm here to redeem. I'm here to make this better. I'm going to make this right, but you're not going to see it. Some of your kids will see it. Your grandchildren will see it. Your children's children will see it, and so on and so forth. You won't see it. This is a long play for future generations. This is not for you. It's for future generations. And then God continues by saying this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope for a future. Do we see how we've taken this thing out of context? Do we see how every time we're like, oh, happy graduation? Like, it's probably not the right thing to say. (laughs) We're actually talking about war and slavery and exile. But there's something incredibly important here. There's something incredibly important about the hope that God is giving us. And it's it's this hope that is this selfless hope. It's a hope that says, you're not going to be free, but the people after you, they're going to come into it. That's what's going to happen. How many people here were born in the 1900s? How many of you were born in the 1900s? I would hope all of you, except like two. Yeah. If you were born in the 1900s, congratulations. You were born in the most selfish century we've ever had. Me too. Let's all pat ourselves on the back. We're doing a great job. Um, We're the most selfish century that's ever been. Uh, I think this is why we misuse scripture. That's why we misuse this scripture. It's hard for us to see a collective long play. You see, in the 1900s, there was uh, biological advances, there's rational thought, there's machinery, there's assembly lines, and all of a sudden, it's not about the collective group of people. What it's about, it's about you, and it's about your standing and your test scores and your GPA, and it's about your job, and it's about your money, and it's about you competing in free market economies. That's what it's all about, right? It's about the individual. In fact, my sixth grade teacher said, 
we live in a democracy, and the mark of a good democracy is individualism. And she said, if you're going to be, uh, if you want to have other nations become democracies, you need to go to those poor third world nations where they're collectivists, and you need to help them learn how to be individuals. Like, that's what she told me. There's like a whole manifest destiny happening around this, being individuals. And so, of course, this individualism would spread to our Christianity. As American Christians, of course, we're not asking how we can bring about collective redemption with, through selfless love. What we talk about instead is, hey, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Hey, are you saved? Hey, are you going to heaven? Hey, how can I get you from down here to up there? It's all individual. Hey, what size is your mansion going to be? Hey, I need to talk to you about Jesus. Why? Because you and only you, you're the one. you, you got to go up there. That, that is how we've done our American Christianity. And to top it all off, we live in New York. New York. Let me ask a question. How many of y'all New Yorkers woke up today and said, you know what? I'm going to live my life. I'm going to eat. I'm going to walk. I'm going to ride transportation. I'm going to just live my entire life, not for me, but for the generations to come next in this city. How many people did that? And even if you did raise your hand, I'd, you'd be lying. <laughs> you'd be a liar. Because I didn't do it either. I didn't wake up. To, I woke up going, oh, I'm going to go this way. And, oh, the G's running? I don't know. Oh, when am I going to move out of here? Or when I have one kid, two kids? Oh, what does Westchester look like? I start thinking about all this other stuff. Like, that's what we do. This is what we do. We are a me Centric culture. No wonder we read Jeremiah 29 11 and we think it is all about us. But it's not. It's collective redemption. It's the long play. It's how do we get to a place where our church, our community, this city says that we can redeem. We can redeem what's going on now. We can redeem the evil. We can redeem the hurt. And we can do it. Maybe not for us, but for those who are to come. How do we do that? There's this Hebrew word I love. It's called teshuva. Remember when I talked about teshuva a couple weeks ago? Teshuva? I'll remind you, teshuva means you are a divine son and daughter of God. That's what it means, divine son and daughter of God. I like the other translation better. Teshuva means you are wrapped in the arms of God. Isn't that beautiful? Everybody, everybody's wrapped in the arms of God. Everybody has teshuva. You're wrapped in the arms of God. So how do we start this collective redeeming? How do we start to get the focus off of us and say, you know what, I'm, I'm thinking about generations ahead. I think we start by seeing teshuva in every single person. Hey, you, you're wrapped in the arms of God. I think that's exactly where we start. And so when we look at this senseless tragedy that took place two weeks ago that I'm still really heated about, and I should be because it was only two weeks ago, and when I think about things like Sandy Hook or Charleston or any of that, I want to mourn the right way. And so by mourning the right way, I mourn by saying each and every one of those people, each and every one of them, had to shuva. They were wrapped in the arms of God. And for them to be taken away is worth mourning about. My friend Scott Ancaro, he's a pastor down in, in Baltimore. He says this, when he talks about collective redemption, he says, bringing collective redemption about means saying, I love you, I'm sorry, I'm heartbroken. How can I help? What can I learn? How can I lay down my life for you? Repeat. That's what he says. He says, when we mourn with people, when we mourn these tragedies, we say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm heartbroken. What can I learn? How can I help you? How can I lay down my life for you? Repeat. Let's keep doing it. We start collective redemption when we say, Teshuva, I see you in your mourning. I see you in your pain. You are wrapped in the arms of God. 
You know when collective redemption comes? I'm just going to say it because I don't care anymore. You can have your guns. You can shoot your guns. I think collective redemption comes when maybe, just maybe, it becomes a little bit harder to buy a gun than someone who's been you know, interviewed by the FBI three different times can buy one legally. Maybe, just maybe, collective redemption means that, yeah, maybe it means that we go ahead and we call our Congress people and our senators and we say, people are dying, and I'm way more concerned about human life than I am about an amendment. Collective redemption. Can we do it? I think collective redemption, I think it comes when we stop being afraid, when we stop saying we're going to build walls, when we stop saying we're going to deport others. I'm afraid of this person. They're different than me. I blame them. You know what collective redemption is? Teshuva, you're different than me. I don't know who you are. I don't know anything about you, Teshuva, but you're wrapped in the arms of God. So tell me about yourself. What do I need to learn? What do I need to give up? That is collective redemption. Collective redemption is me walking down the street and saying hello and smiling at neighbors because they're to be loved, not feared. Strangers because they're to be loved, not feared. The, the, the corner kids that everybody thinks are dangerous because they're to be loved, not feared. It, it's, it's showing to shuva to all of them, and then it's teaching my children to do the same. That brings about collective redemption. That does. Collective redemption means no matter what you think about scripture or doctrine or dogma or whatever, 49 people in the LGBT community died two weeks ago. Human beings who had teshuva who were covered and wrapped in the arms of God. And it bothers me to no end that, that, that they went through that because of an identity. It bothers me to no end that our LGBT brothers and sisters are put in a place where one out of every four are the victims of a hate crime. It bothers me that 41% of people who identify as trans are committing suicide. I don't care about doctrine. I don't care about dogma. I care about human beings who are wrapped in the arms of God. That's love. That brings about collective redemption. That is teshuva. That is how we start making our generations better. This is what they're talking about in Jeremiah 29.11. This is what they're asking us to do. This is what they're asking Israel to do. So here's my prayer. I'll tell you my prayer. My daughter, who's six, last week, she came to me and she said, uh, Dad, someone, someone today at school told me that you used to have phones that hung on the wall and there was a cord. <laughs> And I said, yeah, baby, it's true. And she went, what? <laughs> you know what my prayer is? My prayer is that my grandchildren, they come and they sit on my lap. And my grandchildren go, Grandpa, uh, we heard that people used to shoot other innocent people with semi-automatic rifles. Is that true? And I will go, yeah. And they'll go, what? It'll be so foreign to them. It'll be so out of, out of their, their schema, their worldview, that, that that won't make any sense. That's my prayer. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is, we'll, we'll all be here in 80 years, right? Same church, same place? Yeah, we'll all be here. Ben Grace is going to wheel himself up to play piano and like, you know, like all this stuff's going to go down and we're going to be up here and I'm going to like have a cane and I'm going to be like, remember when we were afraid of people and like, and like we wanted to build walls and then we'll all sort of chuckle and laugh and then we'll be like, oh, that really happened. That was really this weird, dark time in our lives. I want us, my prayer is that we look back at that and we're like, what, a, what idiots we were. And we see it for what it was.
You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that my children and my children's children and their children's children sit in school and they read about the tragedy and atrocity of, of slave trade and of, um, you know, the Trail of Tears and of the Holocaust and everything else. And they read about something like that that happened in Orlando. You know, 49 people die. And they can't even begin to fathom the idea that people would be killed or hurt based on an identity or an ethnicity or a race or anything else. They just can't fathom it the same way that we have a hard time fathoming how a, a little you know, country Israel can be like stormed in by a Babylonian empire. It doesn't quite make sense to us, right? It's sort of hard. Yeah, let's make it the same way for our kids with that stuff. That's what collective redemption is. That's what it is. Today, I'm not going to pray, although I did, I think it's beautiful that we pray for our babies and our graduates. <coughs> but I want to pray differently. I want to pray differently for our babies and our graduates. I want to pray that they're part of collective redemption. I want Olivia Santiago and every other child to not live in the same place that we live in now with the violence we live in now. I want our graduates to go out and to say, you know what, I can actually bring about collective redemption and I'm going to get to work doing it, all right? Dave, where are you? You got a job to do. I want the rest of our church to say, you know what, this isn't about me. This is about us. It's about the fact that we are so loved, so unimaginably loved, that God says, hey, you, I love you so much that you are going to do my work to bring collective redemption to this world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Will you stand with me? You know what I want to pray? Let's pray Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's pray that, because now we know the context of it. Why don't we pray it together? And you can just say it out loud with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Amen.